These are the Greek Myth Files, a close look into the Greek mythical story world, its gods, its heroes, and its monsters others. Each episode features a story or broader topic that we dig into, analyze, and try to explain in a smart but accessible way. They are brought to you by the Classics Program at the University of New Hampshire and its crack team of undergraduates. I'm your host, Professor Scott Smith. Welcome to another episode of the Greek Myth Files. We are currently in Season 3, which takes as its theme the Black Sea, which features myths that take us far away from Greece to the eastern edges of the world. In the last episode, we discussed the story of the Golden Fleece, which had its origins in Greece, but lay in the distant land of the Colchians, a treasured object of great value. It is the Golden Fleece that now stands as the backdrop behind our next few episodes, which will tell and explore the great voyage of the Argonauts, the heroic sailors who assembled from all areas of the Greek world to reclaim the magical talisman. Today's episode will focus primarily on the leader of the Argonauts, Jason, and tell his own story, including the famous episode of The Man with One Sandal. As always, we invite you to visit our website, manto-myth.org, which will have a map and other visual accessories to help you think about these ancient stories. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Greek Myth Files. In the National Archaeological Museum in Naples, Italy, there is a painting, an ancient painting that once adorned the wall of a house in Pompeii, the city that was entombed when Mount Vesuvius erupted sometime in 79 CE, nearly 2,000 years ago. The painting now sits among many others in the museum, all of which once had a similar function, to adorn the houses so as to avoid an empty wall and, perhaps, to inspire conversation about the rich mythological traditions that the Romans shared with the Greeks that had once colonized the area in the south of Italy. The painting that I'm describing, which you can see on our website, has a bright white background with three sets of people that stand out in vivid color, forming a sort of pyramid. In the upper register, there stand three figures at the top of a staircase in front of a colonnade, indicating a very royal setting. In the middle is a bearded king, who is accompanied by two young women, his daughters, all bearing garlands on their temples. Below these three figures to the left is another figure leading a bull into the center of the frame. Both human and animal are likewise garlanded, and this is clearly a scene of sacrifice. Finally, directly to the right and beneath the gaze of the king is another pair of figures standing at a sacrificial table. A smaller figure, a servant, lays out the items, while in front stands a young, beardless figure dressed in impressive dark blue and purple clothes. Now, it seems like it could be a generic scene of sacrifice, and there is little information to help one identify what mythological episode it is depicting. And yet, there is one clue that is the key to understanding what is going on here. Looking at the young man, you may have your eyes drawn down toward his feet, his clothes are slightly hitched up, and his left foot is prominently pitched forward in the frame. And if you peer in closely, you'll see it. This young man's left foot is barefoot, while his right is shod with a sandal. That tiny detail, which one could easily overlook, allows the educated viewer to recreate the whole episode, which is the feature of today's podcast, The Man with One Sandal. 
Again, for a full version of the story, we turn to the library of Apollodorus. Jason was the son of Eson, son of Cretheus and Polymede, the daughter of Autolycus. He lived in Iolcus, where Peleus became king after Cretheus. When Peleus consulted an oracle about his kingdom, the god declared that he should beware of the one-sandaled man. At first, he did not understand the oracle, but later it became clear to him. When he was performing a sacrifice to Poseidon on the shore, he invited many people to it, including Jason. Jason, who lived in the country out of a desire to farm, had to hurry to make it to the sacrifice. In crossing the Anaurus River, he lost a sandal in the stream and so came out on the other side, one sandaled. When Peleus caught sight of him, he connected him with the oracle, approached him, and asked what he would do if he were the ruler, and received an oracle saying that he would be killed by one of his citizens. Jason, either because it just happened to occur to him in the moment, or because of Hera, said, I would command him to bring back the golden fleece. When Peleus heard this, he immediately ordered him to go after the fleece, which was in a grove of Ares and Calchas, hanging from an oak tree and guarded by a serpent who never slept. Before we return to the one-sandaled man, let's back up a bit and talk about the family relationship between Peleos the king and Jason, who are closely related. As usual, we find at the core of the story a very dysfunctional family, full of plotting and intrigue. The setting of this myth is in a place called Iolcus in Thessaly, that is, in northern Greece. Now, the name of the town Iolcus is just close enough to the name Colchis, where the Golden Fleece resides, to be confusing, so it's important to be attentive to the difference between Iolcus and Colchis. Iolcus was called rich in sheep in our earliest reference, and so we're to imagine a powerful, wealthy area. Thessaly in general was the region ruled by the sons of Aeolus, whom you've met before in the previous episode. He was the father of Athamas, whose children were saved by the golden ram. But Aeolus had lots of children, and his descendants will figure into this myth as well. Before we get any further, I should remind listeners that we have provided a genealogical chart on our website, not least because this stuff can get very complicated very quickly. At the center of this family conflict in Iolcus is a woman named Tiro. She's the daughter of another son of Aeolus named Salmoneus, and she was, as many young women were, raped and impregnated by Poseidon. And she gave birth to twins, Neleus and the king of our story, Peleus. These twins were famous for not getting along, as so often happens in myth, so Neleus packs up and moves to another location in Greece. But Peleus hangs around in Thessaly and will eventually cause some trouble. But back to Tiro. After giving birth to Poseidon's sons, she was later given in marriage to still another son of Aeolus, named Cretheus, and she gave birth to Aeson, the father of our one-sandaled man, Jason. Now, when Cretheus, the king of Iolcus, dies, one might naturally assume that his son, Aeson, would become king in his stead, and in some versions he does, for a while at least, since Peleus, Tiro's other son and Aeson's half-brother, is still in the picture. In Apollodorus' account, we learn that Peleos simply becomes king after Cretheus, 
But that story passes over a much more sinister version, one that is found in a song written by a much earlier rock star poet of the 5th century BCE named Pindar. When Jason arrives for the sacrifice with one sandal, Pelias demands that the stranger tell him who he is, and in Jason's feisty response, we learn how Pelias actually became king. And the stranger boldly answered him with gentle words in this way, I say that I am going to bring the teaching of Chiron, for I come from his cave, from the presence of Cariclo and Philyra, where the holy daughters of the centaur raised me living twenty years without having said or done anything shameful in their house, I have now come to my home to recover the ancient honor of my father, which once Zeus granted to Aeolus, the leader of the people, and to his sons. For I hear that lawless Peleus, yielding to his empty mind, violently robbed it from my parents, who were the rulers by right. When I first saw the light... They feared the arrogance of the monstrous ruler, and made a show of dark mourning in their home, with the wailing of women as if someone had died, and they sent me away secretly in purple swaddling clothes, making the knight my escort on this journey, and gave me to Chiron, the son of Cronus to rear. But you know the chief points of this story. Good citizens, show me clearly the home of my ancestors, who rode on white horses, for I am the son of Eason and a native. I do not arrive in a strange foreign land. The divine centaur called me by the name Jason. Here we get a more expansive story. Pelias, described as lawless, or in Greek, athemis, or without regard for what is right, has somehow usurped the throne in Iolcus, driving the rightful ruler Eason from the kingship. Eason and his wife Palamede, in turn, fearing for their child's safety, pretend that he has died and put on a show of mourning, only to spirit him away to Mount Pelion to the good centaur Chiron under the cover of night. When Jason arrives back in Iolcus after being raised by Chiron, he tells the whole story, at which point Eason, who is still alive in Pindar's version, breaks down in tears, for he certainly had no expectation that his son was still among the living. Pindar's song continues to tell the story. Jason receives a warm welcome home from his family members, not only his father, but also his uncles who take his side. After celebrating his return with a festive banquet, Jason decides to confront Pelias and demand that he give up the kingdom and yield to Jason himself. Pelias, surveying the situation and recognizing that he might be outnumbered, contrives a ploy to put off the decision. He tells Jason that he had had a dream, a dream in which Phrixus, the one saved by the golden ram, told him that the golden fleece must be brought home to Greece. To make his story more plausible, Pelias claims that he sent an envoy to Delphi to ask the god Apollo if the dream were true and if the quest must be fulfilled. And Apollo confirmed that, yes, it must be done. Pelias then gently puts off Jason's request, saying that he'd be completely fine giving up power to him after the Golden Fleece is safely returned. And Jason agrees to these terms, setting out to assemble a large team of heroes and build himself a boat. (music) 
So far, we've explored the family backgrounds of Jason and Pelias, but we've yet to dig into the story about how Jason became the one-sandaled man. In the initial reading of this episode from Apollodorus, we learn that Jason simply lost it while crossing a river. This is presented as an ordinary event, something that anyone can identify with if they've tried to make it across a muddy bank or stepped onto a waterlogged lawn. Of all the elements of the Jason story, the one sandal aspect is always present, no matter who narrates the story, probably because it is so memorable, and many scholars have indeed tried to find and explain where that motif came from. As we've mentioned in other episodes, the search for the origin of a myth is fraught with difficulty, so we'll leave that to the side for the moment to focus on what the ancient versions of the story actually say. One of the oldest versions we have is from a prose author named Pherecydes, you probably never heard of him, a mythographer who wrote down mostly oral stories as a complement to the poetic tellings like those of his contemporary Pindar, also from the 5th century BCE. According to Pherecydes' version, when Jason crossed the river, he took off his sandals, presumably to protect them from getting wet and ruined. And when he got across, he put a sandal back on his right foot, but just neglected to put one on his left, perhaps in his haste to make it to the sacrifice on time. Other sources, like Apollodorus, simply state that he left it behind in the mud, again perhaps leaving it to make sure that he could get to the city in time for the sacrifice. There is another version one involving the goddess Hera, who is Jason's divine protector, but as we will see momentarily, it's probably just a mistake on the part of a later author who got a bit confused by two different episodes involving Jason and a river. The confusion arises from two separate stories found in Apollonius of Rhodes, the author of the Argonaut Adventure. At the very beginning of this epic, we are told that Jason lost his sandal in the river as he was heading into town to attend a banquet that Peleos was hosting, that's the story that we've been following so far. Apollonius, however, notes that Peleos was hosting the celebration in honor of his father Poseidon and the other gods, that is, all the gods except Hera, whom he paid no honor. Because of Peleos' failure to worship Hera, that goddess will work to bring his reign to a brutal end. Yet, later in that same epic, we hear of another story involving Jason and a river, this time one that explains why Hera was so very fond of Jason. When Hera is worried that Jason and the Argonauts might not make it successfully to get the Golden Fleece, she goes to Aphrodite to help. In her appeal to Aphrodite, Hera reveals not only her hatred of Peleos, but also her love for Jason. For I will not have King Peleus boasting that he has escaped his evil doom. Insolent Peleus, who left me out when he made offerings to the gods. Besides, <laughs> I have been very fond of Jason ever since I was putting human charity on trial, and as he came home from hunting and met me at the mouth of the Anaurus River. That river was swollen with torrents from the melting mountain snowcaps. I was disguised as an old woman, and he took pity on me, lifted me up, and carried me across the flood on his shoulders. For that I will never cease to honor him. But Peleus, he will not be brought to book for his outrageous conduct unless you make it possible for Jason to return. Note that this episode, set along a river, is at a different point of time than Jason's loss of his sandal in a river when he tried to make it to the banquet, since here Hera specifies that Jason was simply coming back from a hunting expedition when he helped her out. 
We are not told precisely why Hera is testing humans, kindness, and generosity, but Jason passes the test and gains Hera's admiration and thus her protection throughout his life. But this is not the river where he loses his sandal. Later tellings of Jason's myth, however, conflate or combine the two separate episodes involving a river. The first, Jason's helping of Hera. The second, Jason's rush to reach Iolcus in time for the sacrifice. Basically, a new version is formed based on a mistaken understanding of these two separate events that both happen to take place at a river. In one of these later accounts, when Jason was heading into Iolcus to confront Peleus about the kingship, he encountered a swollen river, where Hera was disguised as an old woman. Jason helps Hera over the river, and when he did so, he lost his sandal in the river. Another text from the 2nd century CE, that is 300 years after Apollonius and at least 600 years after Pindar and Pherecydes, makes it explicit that it was Hera herself who made him lose his sandal in the mud, precisely because Peleus failed to honor her appropriately. In the following text, Hera is called Juno because it is a text written in Latin and not in Greek. Juno turned herself into an old woman at the Avenus River and stood there to test people's character, to see if they would transport her across the river. No one was willing to do so except Jason, the son of Eason and Alcimede, who carried her across. She, angry because Peleus had admitted her in his sacrifices, made Jason leave behind a sandal in the mud. I realize that this is somewhat confusing and that we're digging into some pretty deep specifics, but I wanted to present this to show that myths evolve as they are told, and often these changes occur not because of some deep-seated religious belief and not because they reflect some ancient mysterious origin of importance. And yet, even if this version is a later mashup of earlier episodes, it still makes sense within the logic of the story, since Hera's anger at Peleos goes hand-in-hand hand with her love for Jason. It's just a new version that makes sense unless you dig into previous tellings. We've explored the motif of the one-sandaled man from the perspective of the story of Jason. Now, scholars have been at great pains to explain where that motif might have come from, resulting in some studies that try to connect it to an initiation ritual of a young man entering manhood. We have examples of other monosandalists in myth. In a fragment of a tragedy by Euripides, some who are hunting the famous Caledonian boar take off one sandal so as to be lighter on their feet. And we have one historical example where fighters were said to take off one sandal to get better footing in the mud. Whether this reflects a real act of young men taking off one sandal in an initiation rite is impossible to say. We just don't have any evidence that the removal of a sandal was part of any ritual act in historical Greece. So if that detail reflects a real ritual, then the ritual was a very old one that had long since disappeared. That Jason, the one-sandaled man, is young and will sail off on a quest with 49 other similarly young and unmarried Greek heroes adds to the impression that the whole story does have some connection to the maturation process. But it's worth pointing out here that nearly every heroic myth we have involves a young, unmarried man who goes off on some kind of adventure. Faithful listeners of this podcast know that we're less interested in trying to plumb the depths of the origins of the myths than understanding how they operated in the circumstances in which they were actually told or depicted. 
To that end, let's leave the initiation ritual theory behind and return to the wall painting with which we started. Today, the painting of Jason, the one-sandaled man, sits in a museum, but it once was located in a house in Pompeii known today as the House of Jason because it is where the famous painting was found. The house is not a large one as houses in Pompeii go, but it was decorated extensively with paintings drawn from the world of myth, and it's clear that the owner, or the person that he commissioned to do the paintings, did some thinking about the arrangement, especially in a room where there's a bunch of paintings about mythical love stories gone very, very wrong. One of the big questions is the purpose of all of this mythical wallpaper. Were these mythological paintings merely decoration, tapping into the rich story world that everyone would know? Were they conversation pieces meant to inspire discussion among visitors of the house who were there to admire the choice and arrangement of those paintings? Or were they meant to express the taste and refinement of the owner who would then show off his education and knowledge of the mythical world as he guided visitors throughout his house? Now, none of these are mutually exclusive, of course, and perhaps we should not be looking for one single answer. Certainly, though, viewers must have been trained to look for clues in the paintings to unlock the rest of the mythical story. In the case of the painting of Pelias and Jason, if one misses the almost hidden detail of the man with one sandal, then it's just another pretty picture on the wall. Well, that's it for another episode of the Greek Myth Files. In our next episode, we'll turn to the famous ship, the Argo, and the list of famous heroes, the Argonauts, who took part in the voyage under the leadership of Jason, the man with one sandal. After that, it's full sail to Colchis and the Golden Fleece with some important stops along the way. For those of you who want to dive into the world of mythological wall painting in Pompeii, I'd urge you to visit the website called Pompeian Pictures, all one word which surveys the extensive remains of the ancient city, along with a lot of great photos of the wall paintings, some of which are still in situ or still in place, while many others are housed in the museum in Naples. We invite you to send your thoughts about our podcast, ideas for future episodes, or just let us know that you're enjoying listening to what we have to offer. There's a button to send an email on our website. Great thanks go to our students who contributed to this episode, our voice actors, A.J. O'Neill and Julia Summer, as well as our sound engineer, Samantha Kutsia. The original art for this episode is brought to you by our student artist, Alina Podgurski. And as always, the music is generously provided by Jared Sims. That's Sims with one M. You should go by and listen to his music. In fact, Jared has just dropped another amazing album. Go check it out. That's all for this episode of The Greek Myth Files, signing out for just a little while. See you next time.